I was in Montana at a small pastor's retreat some years ago and with Lutheran pastors, I'm a Lutheran pastor, some of you didn't know that, and someone asked me, so what is renewal anyway? Because he, he heard that I was the director of Lutheran renewal. You'd think that having been the director for many years, I, I, that would be an easy qu question to answer. You know, I gulped, and here's this Lutheran pastor, you know, kind of in your face, wanting to know what renewal is. And so I, I swallowed, and I sent up one of those quick arrow prayers, you know, the quick ones. You don't have a lot of time to pray. You don't kneel. You just, God help me. And here's what I said. I said, renewal is three things. If those three things are there, are not there, you will not have renewal, guaranteed. If they are there, you will have renewal. It look different, different places. But if these things are present, you will have renewal, life in the spirit. First thing is the authority of scripture. That if you, if you balk on the authority of scripture, you cannot have renewal because you have to come under the authority of the word of God if you're going to experience renewal. Second, the lordship of Jesus Christ. It's not optional. It's mandatory to bow, to surrender to the Lord Jesus Christ. Third is the empowering presence of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is not for charismatics. The Holy Spirit is for the people of God. That's Christianity 101. It's uh, basic. And so I'm going to share with you, I'm going to extend that now into a message and give you those three things. First of all, the authority of Scripture. The reason I'm giving it to you is we're going through the book of Acts. And the Acts makes these three things very clear. The authority of the Word of God. I'm starting by reading a love letter. Uh, I'd like Karen to be here, but she's not. She took the kids. But this is a love letter that I wrote to her. And I have a reason for reading it. So bear with me as I read this love letter to Karen. Why I'm glad I married you. You love me and you always have. You were beautiful when I married you and you still are. I trust you that you will always be faithful. I've never had any thought, not a fleeting thought that she would ever be unfaithful. We are still enjoying each other. We like spending time together. Number five, I can make you laugh. And we do it a lot. Uh, I'm not going to read all 23, but I'm going to read some of them. Uh, you love music, singing, worshiping, dancing. I'm glad that you are a musician and that you can sing on key, just like me. And that's kind of a joke because she's got better pitch than I do when it comes to Sometimes I, I fade a little bit and she doesn't. You are loved at Trinity, and you are loved here at Communitas, Lydia House, and at North Heights. You give time to people, and they appreciate that. She really gives time to people. I love to see that. She's very generous with her time. You let me lead. You know that I'm a leader, and you're willing to follow. You like sports, especially when I'm playing them. She loves rooting for me. When I played sports, I knew that she was just, and she'll talk about it before and afterwards. You like who you are. You are having fun with life. You are not a negative person, and you have a great laugh. Pardon? Yes. So now, is there anything that I read to you that you didn't understand? 
did, what, any words that you tripped over, or did you understand it? Okay, you understood that. Wasn't difficult, was it? Okay, I'm going to hold up this book, and I'm going to dismantle two myths. One myth is that it's boring. This is God's letter to us, and he uses our language. When he spoke to Saul, he spoke his language. It wasn't English. He might, it might have been Greek, it might have been Aramaic, it might have been Hebrew, but he said it in language he could understand clearly. God speaks so that we can understand. He doesn't speak to mess us up. This is not a boring book. It's a letter of love from God. And it's meant to engage us. And it's not about intellect. In fact, with the ELCA document, when they were studying sexuality, they said they called for the people in social sciences and those who are gifted. Wrong. They didn't come out with a meaning. Not that God's against intellect. I like what John Wesley said once. Uh, when he was a smart man, and uh, a lady once took issue with that and said, I just want you to know, Mr. Wesley, that God doesn't need your intellect. And he said, that's true. And I just want you to know, ma'am, that God doesn't need your stupidity either. So we're not talking about intellect versus stupidity. We're talking about childlikeness. I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, Matthew 11:25, that you have hid these things from the wise and learned. Hey, I've had four years of graduate school beyond college. That might make me learned. What does that get? It might get me miss, missing. That you have hid these things from the wise and learned and have revealed them to, yes, babes, babes. So what do I need when I approach this? I need a childlikeness. I need, I need an openness for God to speak his word to me. R.C. Sproul, he's a theologian, a wonderful man, was invited to speak. Oh, oh, I, I only did one of them. The second one is that it's hard to understand. That's the second myth. It is neither boring nor hard to understand. Now, granted, we have many times when we don't understand it, right? Let's face it. And we have times when it's frankly boring. But to say that lifelong, it doesn't say anything about this book. It says a lot about me if I hold on to those two myths. So can we just dismantle those right now and say this is not boring and it's not uh, hard to understand. You know what Naomi's favorite book is? The book of Revelation. That's interesting. She loves the book of Revelation. So we've taken those apart, and this is a, this is a book that that God gave me so I can understand him. Now, you don't understand all the intricacies of what I said, and if you got to know me better, you would understand those better, wouldn't you? And if you got to know Karen better, you'd understand those better. So as we get to know God better, we get to know the book better. We get to understand him. So R.C. Sproul is being invited by a president to go and teach at his Bible college. And he said, and we would really like you to make the Bible come alive. And R.C. Sproul tried to hold back the words. 
because he's thinking, I didn't know it died. Did the book die? Was there a funeral? <laughs> I do not make the Bible come alive. The Bible is a living book. It pulsates with life. It says in 1 Peter 2, being born anew, not with perishable seed, but imperishable, by the living and abiding word of God. This is full of life. For the word of God, Hebrews 4.12, is living and active. That word is energes. It energizes. It's, it's, it's got energy to it. Listen, the word of God is living and active, sharper than a two-edged sword, piercing to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit, of joint and marrow, and as a and as a discerner, this book is a discerner of the thoughts and intentions of my heart. I do not read this book. It reads me. I do not scrutinize the scripture. It scrutinizes me. I do not stand in judgment of this book. It stands in judgment of me. And so I bow before the authority of the word of God. So I'm going to Arizona some years ago, and the bishop hears that I'm, I'm going to his territory. He knows me, he respects me, but he's not where I'm at. And I'm going to Graham Sellers Church, and Graham has already told me, just so you know, I, it was a new friend, just so you know, Paul, we want everything. I love that. We want everything. And so the bishop calls him up and says, I, I hear Anderson's coming. And this is what he asked him. He said, you're not getting charismatic, are you? Here's his response. Listen to his response. If it's in the book, we want it. If it's not in the book, we don't want it. That pretty well ended that discussion. <laughs> what could he say? See, people ask me sometimes, is that Lutheran? And I'm okay with that question. I know what they mean. And I'm a Lutheran theologian, and I like Lutheran theology. I embrace it. But I'd prefer if they said what? Is it biblical? Is this biblical? Because if it's in the book, I want to bow to it. If it's not in the book, I'm not interested. So, you know why we prayed for the sick today? Because it's in the book. Because that's what God does. In fact, God, before he revealed himself as a father, he revealed himself as a healer. Exodus 15 for I am the Lord, your healer. And they sang songs about the healing God. He heals all our diseases. That was in the liturgy of Israelites. So why do we, why do we lay hands on the sick? Because it's in the book. That gives us authority. What a wonderful book to have and to know and to grow in. I've heard people say, well, he's into a deliverance ministry. And when you say it, it's hardly complimentary. Hey, good friend, read the book. Read the book of Acts. Read where Paul cast out demons. Read where Philip cast out demons. Read where Jesus, you read the book of Mark, you got healing and deliverance. Rapid fire. Jesus was into a deliverance ministry. It's in the book, so I'm going to do it. Now, there's a problem. 
The Bible teaches healing. I believe in healing. My experience doesn't match the Bible's. Is that true for you? It's true, isn't it? And so what do I do with that discrepancy? I feel it. I feel it often. So what I could do is ratchet down the Word of God to the level of my experience. I would rather play with light than to tamper with the Word of God. I'm not about to do that. But some people are. It's not for today. Anybody ever heard that before? Wait a minute. Who said Jesus commissioned them? And I don't think that commission has ever been rescinded. So we continue to pray. And are you with me that we're just going to keep praying until our experience rises to the level Holy of the Lord. God? I'm ready for that. I expect it to happen. I think all of you expect it to happen, that we're going to see the things that we have been praying for. So truth is not to be debated. It's to be received and obeyed. And when truth is being debated, we're in trouble. Truth is revelation. It's given. And so we respond. We, em we embrace the truth. I looked in the book of Acts just to see how they lived by the word of God. And it was remarkable. I'm just going to show you a couple passages, and then we're going to go to point number two. In chapter 1, verse 16, Peter says, Brothers, the scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke long ago through our prophet David concerning Judas. So they're taking up this issue of Judas because the scripture spoke about it. And then they came up with two obscure verses in Psalms. What does that say to me? It says that they're living by the book. It says that they, they had it in their heart. They memorized it because they take one from Psalm 109 and one from Psalm uh, 60, 69, I don't know that I would have found those and applied them to Judas. But they were open to the Spirit of God and to the Word of God. The Sadducees believed neither in Scripture nor in the power of God. You have neither Scripture nor power of God. They didn't have either. They had no power, and they, they really uh, abandoned the Scripture. So I'm not going to go to the other ones, but in chapter 2 he preaches, and there's more words. Chapter 4, there's more, more words from Scripture. So uh, if you've got a Bible, just hold it up. I'm going to pray over this and pray over you. Or if you've got a cell phone, yep, that'll, that'll work. <laughs> Lydia House, we want to be people of the book, don't we? We want to be people who love the book, whose lives are shaped by this book. So, Father, we yield afresh to this book. It pulsates with life. It is alive. It gives us life. It brings us life. In fact, it's living and abiding, so it comes into our hearts. And 30 years later, that word is still active in our heart. It's, it's a wonderful book. And so we receive it today for ourselves and for this little community of Lydia House, that we say to you that we will be people of the book. Say it any way you want, preacher of the Lord now. Just any way you want it. Just say it, that, that you're going to be 
that kind of person. Okay, so that was the first thing I said. The second thing I said was what? The authority of the scripture, the lordship of Jesus Christ. So they get filled with the spirit and they stick around in the room for five hours. They get filled with the spirit and I don't know how long they stick around but they hit the streets. Because the Spirit sends them on a mission. That's the purpose. The Spirit is going to touch us so we can touch them, right? So when we get touched, He wants to touch them. So they go out, hit the streets. They're speaking in tongues. They've been filled with the Spirit. And now Peter gets up to preach because there's lots of people there. We don't know how many. If 2,000 got saved, there may have been 5,000. There may have been 10,000. It's... it's uh, at Pentecost, from Passover to Pentecost is 50 days, and some people just turn around and they stayed there. So it could have been 100,000 people in town or, or more. So Peter gets up to preach, and he does not do this. I feel so good. It's so wonderful. I feel so good having the Holy Spirit. It's just so, oh, I love this feeling. There are those who, when they think about charismatics, they think they're touchy-feelsy people. again with this in mind what was their message their message is the lordship of jesus christ and who is helping them proclaim it the holy spirit because first corinthians 12 3 says no one can say they said caesar is kurios caesar's lord you say jesus kurios you're in trouble you may have to deal with some things. You may get thrown into, into jail. No one can say Jesus is Lord except So the Holy Spirit's agenda. Jesus knew this and he talked about it in the upper room. He says the Spirit testifies of me. They had such a unity, such a beautiful unity in the Trinity. There's no never, never a moment of competition between the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Jesus, when he gets the keys, So there's no competition. So here is the Spirit. We absolutely need the Spirit. The Spirit comes to testify to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. That's what we want. Jesus is Lord. Now, when you say Jesus is Lord, let me say something to you. You just lost your vote. Right? If he's king, if he's Lord, then we don't each get a vote. We surrender to his Lordship. I don't decide what to do. Doing church is not trying to find a program to prop up our lack of attendance or to prop up uh, uh, a Sunday school program. Or That's not what we're trying to do. It's not what did Jesus do, it's what is Jesus doing. Because he's alive. He's not a member. And so we say Jesus, 
I bet you have an opinion about this business. I'll bet you have an opinion about this problem that we're having in this church. I'll bet you have an opinion. And one, one of the joys of my ministry was discovering that Jesus speaks. He speaks. And if, if that hasn't become your experience, it will. As you, as you continue to follow him and to go his way, you'll find out that Jesus has a voice and Jesus speaks to him. And we can hear and we can obey. Sadly, Jesus said this. Speaking of religious people, why do you say, Lord, Lord, and what? Yeah, yeah. And you just disregard. You don't do the things that I, I say. So to say, Lord, it means that we are in a place of servanthood. Grace be unto you and peace from God, our Father, and the Lord, Jesus Christ. Before the Father, we are his, we're children, we're children, and so children have an inheritance, the whole, it, fear not little flock, it is the Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom, we've got it all, we're his kids, we've got it all, we have an inheritance, so that is one truth, the other, the corresponding truth, is that before the Lord, we're not his kids, we're stewardship. Stewardship means I don't own anything. Stewardship means it belongs to the king, and I'm just here to serve. I'm a servant, and I don't do that as a feeling I have rights, I have responsibilities. I don't claim my rights as a servant. Servants just do whatever they're told. So before the king, before Jesus, I say, Jesus, I want to know your will, and I want to do it. So I just, I just want to stop here and say for me and for you that we want to surrender to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And I don't want good ideas that aren't delicious. I don't want to try this or that. I don't want to play with people. Well, let's try this. Let's do this. No, let's really believe that if we surrender to the king that things will change. Have you ever heard the name Terry Fulham? He was an Episcopal priest in the 80s and the 90s. I began to hear about his church because they made a decision as, as the church that we will follow the king. Period. So at their board meeting they didn't come with their agenda pushing It's not that they didn't come with, with strong ideas or even strong opinions, but ultimately they simply surrendered everything to the king. The pastor didn't have the final word, neither did the elders of the church. The king did. And we began hearing about what's going to happen. We began traveling this country and talking about the relationship of Because they So do you want to take that with me seriously? I think you do, don't you? That Jesus is king. And that means I bow to the authority of the king. That's how Peter 
and John, and that's how it was called Christianity. That's how they, it was up to the king. And we, we were responsive to the king. They never said, I wish Jesus were back here. I wish that there was a song, you know, walk with him. I wish he were here. No, they never wished him back. He was the exalted one at the right hand of the Father, pouring out the Holy Spirit so they could do the things they could do. So Peter walks out and his, his shadow falls on people and they're healed. So here we go. Set number two. Father, we surrender to your son. We give in to Jesus. We want him to have his way. Please, God, spare us from getting our way. We don't want to be nagging children who want our way. We want to be mature children who say, what's the king's say? What's the king's will? I pray that people here will learn to hear his voice and follow the king. In Jesus' name. Okay, we got two done. The authority of Scripture, the Lordship views, and what's the third? Power of the Holy Spirit. Okay, so we'll do this uh, quickly. I could say a lot, but we're we're gonna go uh, quickly. Renewal changes everything. It's not an add-on. It's not on for those emotional kind of people who want, some, who want more of a surge, who want to do different things, who want to prophesy, who want to speak in tongues. It's not that. Renewal changes everything. The Holy Spirit messes with everything. I call it the great commotion, Pentecost. You had the great commission, but now the great commotion, because he's changing everything. He's cutting through genders. He's cutting through uh, uh, old and young. He's cutting through uh, traditions. And doing a new thing, it's the great commotion. When the Holy Spirit comes, the Holy Spirit is Lord. In fact, it says in 1 Corinthians that the Spirit is Lord. And so we want to be guided by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is God's answer for our absolute need for divine presence and divine power. So it's not enough to have the Scripture and to have the Lordship of Jesus Christ. We absolutely need... Pray for one another to be filled with the Holy Spirit. We speak in tongues because it's in the book, because it's under the Lordship, and it's apostolic Christianity. That's what they did. They prayed with people. Whoa! They're speaking in tongues. They're prophesying. Acts 2, Acts 10, Acts 19. It happened. What, is this a tongues movement? I wouldn't call it a tongues movement. I call it Jesus is Lord. The Holy Spirit do I speak in tongues? Yes, and I love to because Jesus gave that as a new covenant gift. It's the only gift that you don't find in the Old Covenant. You find healing in the Old Covenant, but you don't find this one. It's, it's saved, as it were, for new covenant Christians. I think one of the reasons is that the new covenant is so radical. God says, I'll do everything. I will do it in you. Not with you. I will do it in you. That, that, that his work might be done in us who walk not after the flesh but after the spirit. So, so what am I? I'm a receiver. That's my most important job is to receive as the king works the life of the Holy Spirit. The fruit of the spirit. It's not the fruit of Paul. It's not a manifestation of Paul. 
If you see love coming out of me, it's a manifestation of the Spirit, not of me. It's a manifestation that I've surrendered to the Spirit, and now he's producing that fruit and, and allowing his gifts to work in me. So, whatever we do, it needs to be recognizable to the apostles if they were to show up here. If Peter and John showed up here, would they recognize it? If they came to some churches, frankly, they'd look inside and they wouldn't recognize it. Either. They'd say, is that what you're saying? That's what you're And so, I rejoice. This is not a comparison to no longer in life. I rejoice in what's going on here because I see the church seeking to surrender their spirit. They pray for one another, so we pray for one another. They love the Word of God, we love the Word of God. They sing, they sing in spirit, they sing songs of praise, and we sing songs of praise. So we're, we're trying our best, and thank God for Bob and for uh, those who are helping to, to steer this ship. I want to close by praying for the Holy Spirit. Praying for the Holy Spirit to fill you. If you, uh, if you have asked, pretty simple, if you've asked, you've received. I pray with a lot of people, and I'll be praying, I'll be preaching a week from Wednesday uh, in Norway. And they've asked me to, they said, come and bring an anointing, an anointed message on the Holy Spirit and have an altar call. They want people to be filled with the Holy Spirit. We want to be filled, and we want the people who come to us to be filled. me then we'll close here and I'm going to pray a prayer of surrender a prayer of openness and I've prayed with many who have who have feel like well it didn't happen and I'm not sure what they wanted to happen uh, it may be a spiritual experience it may be a an emotional experience it may be a quiet sense of God's presence but I tell people if you ask you receive and I love to pray with people to be to be released from the gift of tongues because I know it's for all all of us, not for some. So I thank you, Heavenly Father, that you released your son to come to earth and then raised him from the dead and exalted him to your right hand as Lord and Christ. I thank you that you so moved on the men of old, it says in 2 Peter, that they spoke, as it were, the very words of God, and they wrote them down. I thank you that we have a book that we can trust. And I thank you that when Jesus ascended, you sent the Holy Spirit. And so today, afresh, we receive your Holy Spirit. We want the empowering presence of the Holy Spirit to guide the affairs of this church. Go to the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, be Lord of this place. Be Lord of our emotions. Be Lord of our gifts. Be Lord to, to bring us your fruit. And let it happen in us and through us. We do believe for miracles. We believe for transformed lives. We believe that your gifts are going to be expressed more and more in our lives in the days ahead. 
So let it be, Lord. Let it be. Let it be. Just put your hand on the person next to you if they're, if they're comfortable with that. It's so wonderful that this, it's like a sacrament laying on a hand. It's the impartation from the Father through one another. And that God, God, God sends his power to us through brothers and sisters. And so uh, however you want to pray, just you can pray quietly, you can pray out loud, but pray for the person that you're touching on your right, on your left. Go ahead and pray for the Holy Spirit to, to be moving in them today in ways ahead. That it can happen. Go ahead. half a minute or so and then we'll we'll close with the benediction I'm gonna I'm gonna speak over you now the blessing, the benediction that God gave to Moses, who gave to Aaron, who gave as a priest to the people of God. It's an impartation, it's an impartation of peace from the triune God. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you, be gracious to you. The Lord look upon you with his favor and give you his peace in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. So we're just going to, we hang, we just hang around. We'll, we'll leave the chairs out here. If you want to stack them, anybody want to stack them, we'll just put them over on the side here. No meal today. But uh, next Sunday, we'll have communion together. This week, I'll be doing a lot of work around the yard. And I pay people that want to help. If you want to help uh, during the week, we'll be planting, we'll be pulling, we'll be cutting, we'll be digging, we'll be doing a, a lot of different things, probably throwing dirt at each other by the end of the day. Uh, so if, if you have some time and want to do that, then glad to have you. And then if you'd pray for me as I head for Norway, there are uh, expectations in my heart for what the Lord's going to do there. That's it. Uh, next Sunday the 10th.
I'll be here for church and then leave after. Okay, good, good to be together. Let's give each other a hand. Have a wonderful fourth and a fifth and a sixth.